I'm just thinking like the employer said, okay, bit jumpy over the last two years. There needs to be a bit of storytelling under the experience as well. Just say like what you've did, what you've achieved, what problems you face. So again, think about it from the situation of situation, task, action, result, and heavily focus obviously on the, the latter of the results uh, in your resume. Open bullet points with actionable work, demonstrated, achieved, all those bang words effectively. Hello and welcome to Polyweb. I'm your host, Sarah Totally, and my guest today is Owen Haley, a leading Web3 recruiter with over 70 candidates placed in various different Web3 projects. With Owen, we talk about uh, how to get a job in Web3, how to write a killer resume to land your dream job, and how to negotiate your salary and spotting the red flags before getting hired. So please enjoy this conversation with Owen Haley. Owen, welcome to Polyweb. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm very happy to have you here. <laughs> uh, good to be good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, so this is a highly requested episode and uh, I will say a very useful one as well, because uh, we are going to talk about uh, how to find a job in Web3 and uh, also how to repurpose your career, you know, in this space. But before we dive into the topic on how to find a job in Web3, uh, maybe a good place to start is uh, by telling our audience uh, how is uh, recruiting in Web3 different from uh, recruiting uh, in Web2? Good question. I guess it's more global. It's borderless. The vast majority of clients are less preoccupied with one's location. It's all about proof of skill, not about proof of play so much, especially within the engineering domain. Uh, for example, good Rust developers are very hard to find and it doesn't matter to a large degree if you are a top-class blockchain developer or Rust developer, for that matter, whether you're living in Brazil or in California, the salary discrepancy between the two areas won't be as won't be as apparent as it is in Web two, so to speak. So that's the most noticeable. That yeah, there's also a lot of autonomy as well. Token allocations, equity options play a big deal in the overall negotiation of getting someone over the line to work for your particular project whereas in web 2 it's more preoccupied on base salary and yeah the upside in deals uh, when it comes to negotiating salaries investing schedules can be huge and that's the main takeaway really okay so that's interesting since we are on the topic of uh, how is recruiting different in web 2 compared to web 3 why should for example a software engineer working uh, at a top company in Web2 or like in a tech company in Web2 in general be interested uh, in shifting uh, towards Web3 instead? Well, 90% of the time they probably shouldn't. Uh, you know, if they're getting a stable job, if they're getting an, um, a reliable income every week uh, with benefits, maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> Do you know, that's the, that's the reality, the question, that's the reality, the, space, the stage we're at as an industry. It's high risk, 
high reward and yeah again for example especially if you're in the US a lot of the employment contracts are business to business within Web3 and that's a huge thing if you are an American candidate because oftentimes if you're working on such a contract you have to effectively pay whatever 20, 20 grand on health insurance yourself so 90% of the time you shouldn't uh, but that being said it comes down to to answer your question it comes down to psychological contract uh, if you're a developer working in Web2 you will always have security in your profession as a Solidity developer as a top class Rust developer as a top class core and developer in the space you'll be absolutely fine you can go from one project to another relatively easy yeah again it's yeah, again, it's high risk, high reward. So if you have to really kind of do your due diligence uh, on particular projects. See, do you buy into the vision? Uh, can you work with the founders? Do you believe that the roadmap that they have laid out is uh, achievable? Do you envisage any future funding problems with that particular project? There's a lot of various different variables that you have to consider when joining a project. And I often tell candidates coming into Web3 technical or non-technical effectively it's not you shouldn't be advertising necessarily yourself to a company the company should be as much telling you why you should work for them because it is high risk high reward and yeah a lot of these projects operating in the space they haven't a lot of runway that, you know that's the reality and even obviously you see like a lot of layoffs within the space, not only in a lot of these major exchanges, for example, they had layoffs of between 20 and 30% of headcount at the start of the year. So there isn't really a safe hiding space, particularly Web3. And... Yeah, I love your honesty, uh, really. It's uh, it's so refreshing. And since we're on the, on, on the topic, what are... What three companies looking for when they are they are hiring for a particular role, right? Uh, what sort of uh, skills and uh, competencies do you need to develop, let's say, to be a good candidate for uh, for a Web three project? Yeah, so that's um, a great question and um, I guess I can kind of give you different answers. I suppose for some projects, I did allude to the fact that Web3 is very meritoc- meritocracy-based system in one sense, but on the, in the other sense, for about 50% of projects, it definitely isn't. I guess the network effect in Web3 at the moment is huge. So like if it's a business development role, for example, heavy influence on things like what exchanges you might be able to get was listed on what partnerships could you get was with what VCs can you help us jump into bed with and um, if it's a marketing where could you help us place the content with various different outlets the network effect within Web3 is huge and for a lot of the non-technical roles in Web3 it's very much the network effect and who do you know plays a huge, huge part. And that relates the importance of personal branding within the space in a massive, massive way. Um your network your your network is your network to that saying couldn't be more relevant within a web three context, especially where we're at now still in the industry. But on the other side, it is very empowering people coming together, collaborating, 
and people hiring based on one's particular skills as well. So you get to see you get to see kind of the disparity you see which you get to see kind of um, people looking for people to effectively get them a quick win but also you get to see other projects that are there for the long term don't care where one is located not particularly fussy sometimes about one's particular background that they didn't attend an Ivy League school for example or anything like that those institutional factors in terms of education go out the window for a lot of projects the disparity is huge and I hope I'm trying to I hope the picture I'm trying to paint is can be visible to you but you get some projects looking for a quick win and you get other projects that really buy into someone's passion regardless of their resume so you get some projects that hire for the quick win but you also see a lot of great projects that they hire the person they don't hire the resume it's a mixed bag no he said it yeah <laughs> yeah okay okay let, let's uh let's do an exercise together maybe and make it uh, very, very actionable for listeners. So let's say I am um, a software engineer and uh, I can do Solidity and uh, some Rust, but I'm uh, at the beginning of my career, right? Uh, so I was previously a software engineer, let's say, in a Web2 company, and now I learned... Uh, you know, those, those additional uh, programming languages and uh, I want to move to Web3. And I come to you, what is it, the conversation that we're going to have? Yeah, the conversation that we're going to have is uh, effectively, is, if you're lacking Web3 specific experience, again, I just want to be able to advise you to the best of my ability, just have a strong GitHub link and be able to show repos that you're particularly proud of not don't just push in a GitHub demos or POCs that don't offer any meaningful value. Uh, and again, from an engineering point of view, it's not too difficult to get into Web3, I would say. And if you're uh, an experienced Rust developer or a couple of years Rust experience, you, you can, you're welcome into Web3 with open arms. You can find a job literally in the morning. Um, such as the lack of talented Rust developers in the market. How does that conversation change if, for example, instead of a software developer, I'm a marketer? So I am a marketing manager and uh, let's say I also have previous work experience uh, in, in Web 2, but not in Web 3, right? And I would like to reposition my career there to work for a Web 3 company. How does the conversation between you and me change at this point? So I say to a lot of people from such backgrounds, they're very passionate about Web3. They, they really kind of want to get involved and they're struggling and they're disappointed that they can't. Yeah, it's, um, it can be, yes, it's, yeah, it's obviously frustrating as well because you can see their potential and you worry that the, the clients won't. Uh, but yeah, I guess you just have to reassure them that there's a lot of marketers at the moment in the Web3 space out of work. And if you're getting a full-time paid job, a lot of people, a lot of these Web3 marketers will be very grateful to be in your situation. And I can assure you of that. There's a lot of Web3 marketers at the moment going from freelance shop to freelance shop. Uh, 
And yeah, like the web three marketing space has just been crushed over the course of the uh bull mark or over the course of the bear market, to be honest. Um it is recovering slowly, thankfully, but still has a long way to go to reach anywhere near the highs that it was previously. I worked on a hundred K rule uh yeah, not too long ago for a CMO. And I was amazed by the qual- caliber of candidates that I was getting for that particular role, simply because Q1 2022, these people would have turned down 150k roles, no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like again, um, and and it's a, I again, I would obviously tell people to get. I tell such people that from marketing backgrounds to just get ready. There's not a lot of opportunities in marketing, but it is recovering, and maybe. Go to a few meetups, build your network, build your personal brand on LinkedIn. Again, I can't emphasize that enough. And um, build your personal brand. If you are fascinated about digital fashion, for example, build your brand around a marketer that's obsessed with digital fashion so that people will come to you regarding potential collaboration opportunities or uh, marketing roles. Find projects maybe that have recently raised funding from reputable VCs and reach out to their founders directly and say to them, listen, let me get involved. Let me help out pro bono for two or three months so that I can just get that logo or that Web3 experience on my resume so that I can use that as a stepping board to join into the space. It gives a person an eye into the Wild West in some instances, that is Web3. So, effectively, for, so for example, those VC-backed projects, reach out to the founders directly, ask them if you could help out here or there for a few months. And the good thing about Web3 is that a lot of people are willing to help and that will lead to more networking opportunities. And it will also allow you to realise whether this space is for you or not. And again, I think marketing is... It's a very nuanced space within Web2 marketing compared to Web3 marketing because you get to see the effect that community has and that can't be nothing. <laughs> I don't think I can prepare Web3 marketers or Web2 marketers for the effect community has, to be honest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And while... Uh... While you were talking, uh, you mentioned now for the second time, building uh, a personal brand on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I wonder, what's your take in, in how you can go about building your personal brand on LinkedIn in a way that is appealing for getting a potential potential job, both as a uh, full-time hire, but also as a freelancer. How do you go about that? So it's an investment, and like any investment, it takes time to come to fruition. And again, it's about picking a niche and sticking to that niche, and gradually your personal brand within that niche will grow and become reputable and become respected. And it will be a thankless job for the first couple of months, but how you could maybe shortcut that is connect with um, like-minded individuals, connect with people that you believe are worth listening to the, in the space, add your insights in the comments as to what disagree with them, agree with them, see what maybe if they post about something, 
see what maybe they could have elaborated on and allow that person to say, right, that person is worth connecting with. I've read her, her or his comment. I want to get to know this person. And that's a hack to effectively um, build your personal brand. It's all about positioning and adding value. And again, it, it just takes time, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's a bit of an investment upfront, I will say. Right. Yeah. But eventually, maybe it will pay off. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it will pay off if you put the work in, yeah. Okay, I like the optimistic spirit. So let's assume uh, I'm uh, I'm still the software engineer uh, that is looking for, for a job in Web3. I got your advice, and now it's time to send you my resume. Uh, and let's talk about uh, how to write uh, a resume effectively for getting a job in Web3. Yeah, so it really does depend on who you're applying to. If you're applying for a scale-up, a more formal approach is advised. It depends on your seniority as well. But if you are, for example, a designer going for a startup, you want you want to add the bells and whistles. You want that um, element of flair. But if you're going for a CFO job at a major scale-up, you want to keep it simple, stupid. And again, just look at the ATS in which the, you're applying to as well. Again, I don't like, generally, I don't like double column resumes because it just ruins and it, it just, just ATS systems are just very finicky and particular. And if you were applying, for example, at a major exchange, for example, and you upload your resume through an ATS and it's a double column resume, it could get lost amongst the hundreds of applicants and it mightn't even be seen, unfortunately. So you just have to be mindful from an ATS perspective who you're applying to as well. But again, yeah, again, I just don't like double column resumes. And from a recruiter perspective, and I can't emphasize this enough, most recruiters only look at a resume for about 10 seconds. And the hook is vital. It's like a LinkedIn post. You want someone to really engage with the first couple of lines. Um, so your hook, your that's why your executive summary at the top of your page is just, it's everything. Yeah. Oh, how do you write an effective hook? Like, how, if you want to stand out, you know, let's still go with the example of uh, I am a software engineer with a couple of years of experience in Web 2, now transitioning to Web 3. So what shall I write in the... In the hook, for example. So obviously, your years of experience, your stack, your if you're coming into Web3, it's highly advisable that you have, have some GitHub repos and be able to have something on GitHub that the CTO would say, okay, this is very nice. And effectively, be able to show effectively what you... Be able to, effectively, it's a hundred words. And be able to say it within those 100 words in the executive summary, well, we want you. And you could reference a project that you're particularly proud of, or else you could go the more conventional road of assurance. I've worked for this company, I've worked for that company, and I've had X years experience. It really just depends on what stage you're at. Ah, okay. So now, now I'm thinking about my own. So how long should it be? I'm the sorry? Hook, the, how long should it be? The... 
I'd recommend 100 to 150 words. No more than 150. Okay, interesting. Now, now I'm thinking about mine. You know, I'm like, hmm, yeah. is, my, is my hook good enough? <laughs> I'm second guessing yeah. now. Ah, okay. No, but if, yeah, if, if you're a designer, of course, um, obviously, or a, if, yeah, if you're a developer, obviously, links to the GitHub, um, be able to click on it straight away. Um, you raise a lot of suspicion as a developer if you, if the, if the, if the GitHub sure. isn't visible straight away. Um, again, you have to have problem with the North Korean developers and all that kind of stuff going on. And if you're a designer as well, we want to be able to see your Behance profile as well and see some of your designs. So yeah, link is vital as well at the top. And yeah, I suppose then when you get into the lower trenches of the resume, I tell candidates to appro- approach in an interview from a situation, task, action, result. Try and answer all the questions using those four points so that you can, so that the interviewer can really visualize what you're telling him or her. And the same should be applied to the resume. Set the scene, set the story, be able to make it flow effectively from experience to experience and no more than two pages. Anything more than two pages is a waste of time. Okay, then I'm definitely going to show you my resume later because <laughs> I'm that. like so curious. <laughs> because my, cause as, a, as a product manager, mine is a bit more fluffy than... Uh, I don't. I don't have links, etc., to post. You know, like it's like yeah. Yeah. I, I write. I write basically what every product manager say. Like uh, product leaders with X amount of years of experience uh, working in B two B, B two C, blah blah, delivering high value. Pro- like you know, like the the usual. <laughs> but yeah. now you get me thinking. And, no, but like this is this is obviously commonsensical, but. Um, Obviously, when you're looking at if you're applying for a job with a major corporation or one with a major exchange, for example, look at the job description, look for the keywords and make sure those keywords are thrown into your resume as well. Okay, let's make this uh, even more actionable. I have an example here of a, of a resume. Uh, and what we can do is uh, go through it together. And uh, you could share some tips, you know, and highlight uh, the most uh, positive points, let's say. So what people should, should copy, for example, from this resume versus things that maybe needs improvement, if any. Okay? Yeah, sure. So this resume belongs to a full stack developer with over eight years of experience skilled in a vast range of technologies, programming languages, architectures, and tools. So right now I'm reading the the about or the executive summary, you can say. It goes on by stating, participation in different projects gave me the opportunity to learn and prove my excellence in problem solving, planning, decision making, organizing tasks, designing processes, determining technology stack, mentoring, among other skills. My current interests lie in the web-free field as it's fresh, innovative, and rapidly expanding, 
which is in alignment uh, with my creativity and curiosity. My most recent experience is the creation of a pet project uh, as part of Crystallize.dev What Three Focus Bootcamp. All right. What's about this uh, executive summary? Um, so first time looking at it, but uh, it's not bad. Maybe a little bit too wordy. Maybe be a bit more specific and like don't be as vague. Maybe again, behavioral competencies. Yeah, like I wouldn't be overly elaborate on on on, on those to be honest. Yeah, maybe say I'm highly motivated or something, but it doesn't need to. <laughs> It can be like the opening line of a sentence rather than the actual making it being a full sentence itself. So yeah, full stack. I am a full stack. I would get rid of those. I would get rid of those three words in particular to start with. Experienced, a full stack, with eight years experience. I would lead with that. I would I just bit bit too wordy at first glance. I wouldn't also call it a pet project either. I would maybe say developing a web three focused bootcamp. And but it's not bad. It's actually not bad to be honest. Looking at it for the first time, I'd be curious to know has the person his GitHub link over the about section initially, because when the CTO goes to look at the resume, that's what he or she will effectively click on first. CTOs won't read that. It is this is more so to so that the talent acquisition person will be able to uh, make the decision. So that that's just this is who we're impressing here, obviously, in the vast majority of cases. Education, if you have eight years experience, right down to the bottom. No need for that should be an afterthought. Um again if you're celebrating something that maybe happened eight years ago, you know, get rid of it. Down all the way down to the bottom. Unless he's uh, unless you did a master's maybe at a prestigious university or something like that. Include that in the executive summary maybe instead. But education usually all the way down to the bottom. It should be the last thing, really, to be honest. If especially if you have your experience, experience. Okay. For for people who are listening and not watching, uh, what Owen is referring to is uh, after the about section or or the Educate. executive summary. This resume goes on uh, listing uh, the education and training as opposed as the working experience. So that's what Owen is referring to. So education and training go last, okay? Uh, moving forward, we see the working experience. Okay. So here we got, it's actually a two pages resume. So one page and a half. So I will say that's a good length. And there is a brief description of uh, the technology that this candidate uh, has worked with. So the first working experience says working in 4G, 5G projects, including Java, Kubernetes, uh, microservices, Apache Camel, Karate Tests. The second experience states elevated problems with existing platform as a sole supporting engineer. The third experience listed on the resume, mentored junior developer with code review, communication with clients, uh, and knowledge sharing, participated in decision-making about architecture and technical approach with architects and clients. And basically, it goes along uh, like these also for the other, the other experiences listed. So what, what do we see here, Owen? What, what oh. do, you, do you think? So first off, I would say mention your last four experiences rather than all eight experiences as indicated on the resume. 
four might even be one too many. So there's seven there in total. Yeah, limit that down to three or four in terms of experiences. This person's profile. It's a little bit jumpy, let's be honest, um, which is so can be a red flag. But that being said, in the engineering space, it's it's yeah, it's, it's more accustomed that people go from project to project a lot more. Yeah, he mentioned from Jan 2018 to December 2020, he was working on a contract position as an employer. Our recruiter, I would be looking maybe for an explanation as to why what happened with the subsequent three experiences, like were they location issues? Was it COVID related that they had to um, stop working there? Was it like was it a funding issue with the project that he or she worked on? That because and I'm just thinking like the employer said, okay, bit jumping over the last two years. So I'd like just be ready to explain that in an interview, but maybe even in the in the in the in the in the resume, just be able to maybe just a one word or to say what happened at the in the last bullet point, depending on the circumstances. Obviously, it's all circumstantial, and <laughs> but again, going back to what I said earlier, there needs to be a bit of storytelling under the experience as well. I yeah, so just say like what you've did, what you've achieved, what problems you face. So again, think about it from the situation of situation task action, result, and heavily focus, obviously, on the, the latter of the results uh, in your resume. Open bullet points with actionable work, demonstrated, achieved, all those bang words, effectively, so that there's a bit of, so that gives your, gives your resume a bit of panache, I suppose. And, yeah, again, there's too many experiences, there's not enough details. Again, yeah, just Okay. Working 4G, 5G projects, including... Da, 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 da. Yeah, but I just want to know, like, in what context? So, yeah, flesh it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's good. And uh, the resume ends with additional information. So, skills, certification, language proficien- proficiency, and yeah. interests. Are those important to add into a resume? hundred percent, yeah. So I would add the skills maybe under the executive summary and I would leave the certifications where they are and I would move the education down to this additional information section. And yeah, um languages, yeah, great that he has he's multilingual and yeah, interests as well. Nice touch as well, and uh, gives a bit of information about his um personality as well and could maybe elaborate a little bit and maybe a little one-liner as to who he is an individual as well but yeah it's obviously it's not a double column resume and for an engineering profile i like the fact that it's not double column it's two pages as well so the formatting isn't terrible it just needs to be a lot more information under the actual experiences themselves the executive summary needs to be a bit more a bit snappier training you can squeeze that into the executive summary. Um, education needs to be moved on. But it's a solid 6, 7 out of 10 resume. It's not desperate by any means. Okay. Well, thank you, Owen. That was, that I think was very, very helpful and very and very actionable. And hopefully yes. listeners... Uh, um... I'll send them maybe a, one or two suggested podcasts over to you, to the individual in question. Okay, with you. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll uh, like uh, I'll I'll put you in touch after we finish the recording with the candidate, and uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, the candidate would love uh, to to receive uh, some suggestion and uh, and some advice from you for sure. Okay, so let's assume that I got a job offer from a Web three company. Okay, so what should I consider before accepting the offer? And uh, what are the red flags uh, that I should pay attention to? Yeah, so the first obvious red flag is the interview itself. The Web3, obviously, like as I previously alluded to, it is very Wild West and... Ask, don't be afraid to ask difficult questions in the interview. And if they're not being answered, run. You know, <laughs> just run. And if there are difficult questions aren't being addressed because the likelihood is you'll be spoofed throughout uh, your time working there as well. And you'll be scratching your head in a few months' time as to why I even bother joining this particular organisation or project. Obviously, there's there's no such thing as job security in Web3, unfortunately. But query the runway, the funding runway, and how they're set up. There could, they could be in a mess for all we know, but at least if they're honest about it, at least you know you can trust the individuals that they're honest about it. And sometimes it could be a case of if you're not getting a good answer, or a, not a good answer, but um, if a sketchy answer, that's obviously a red flag in itself. And again, just look at the project as well. Like, like if, if they're around a year or two, like, is there a is there has there been much turnover based on LinkedIn? So be a LinkedIn detective effectively. See if people have been working there before. And don't be afraid to connect with those people that have worked there previously and ask them, here, listen, I realise I appreciate that you used to work with this project. Um I am pending offer. Could you please give me a bit of context as to the culture and the founders and how they're going internally? Because with a lot of these projects, what you read in the newsletters and what happens in reality are two completely different. <laughs> are comp- yeah, it's, it's obviously, yeah, just saying like a lot of these projects have very deceptive newsletters as to what's going on, dare I say it. And also another key thing as well, do the people working there have publicly pro- pu- public profiles? Are they effectively telling themselves putting themselves out there and saying right I work here I'm publicly stating that I work here and yeah that's a huge one for me personally that the people working there have public profiles as well and it just gives a level of reassurance that there's a level of accountability internally within the project as well because a lot of developers working in Web3 projects they don't publicly state that they're working in Web3 projects because likely how this they could be working for a couple of different clients, but they could be on they could be labelled as an employee with on a website for a web three project, for example, even though they're messing around in multiple different jobs. So that's a big one for me, the public profile. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, yeah, absolutely. This is uh I think super important. And it's a bit different from uh, a web two type type of company you know those things you know web two company are kind of taken for yeah. granted you know but and in this ask, case 
just ask them as individuals as well, what do you see me doing in the role? What are my KPIs? Understand that they know what they're looking for as well, like any job. Um, so that when you're sitting down with them, well, I don't know, a lot of web three projects aren't proper set, properly set up from a HR perspective, but hypothetically, if there was a probation meeting six months into the job, what would my KPIs be after that six months? And put put that situation to the interviewer or the founders and be able to see, can I achieve those objectives? Are they reasonable? And take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Other question that you can think of uh, that a candidate should ask to stress test uh, this prospective job? Yeah, just the one that I alluded to um, as to what are my KPIs in the job and just get them to really answer that question and don't be afraid to chat GBT it. If you're not getting a proper answer or there's an element of that answer that you want to zone in on, zone in on it. Yeah. Let's talk about the the question, the topic that everyone uh, probably is most interested into, which is uh, salary, of course. Right. So what's uh what's the rate, you know, for for jobs uh, in Web3? So both as a as an employee, how much uh, you should aim to get and uh, as a freelancer as well. So let's say we'll make a couple of examples. So let's say, you know, first uh, a software developer. And then uh, maybe we go back to the marketing example. Okay, so two different type of job. And let's say with, uh, I don't know, like mid-level. So not, not senior, not super junior, or like somewhere in between. Then what is the uh, Let's first start with a software engineer. Okay. And what language? Mm, let's <laughs> say I'm a back-end developer... Uh, let's say I'm a Solidity backend developer. Yeah, and how much experience? Mm, three <laughs> years of experience. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, like, it depends on kind of you know, again. There's no simple way of asking that question because it depends. Like, do you want someone from a like Keir Finlovitz who was previously on your show as like will in his post perfectly points out that if you want to be a soft if you want to be a solidity engineer you always have to be a software engineer so a huge aspect in respect to that would be understanding how much web 2 engineering experience does this person have and obviously that would play into the salary as well so but generally speaking three years solidity experience no matter where you are in the world you should be looking at 100k plus okay uh, fair enough um yeah. <laughs> And uh, and this is location independent. So wherever but, you are in the world, because like absolutely. I know that for the US, this is not a great salary, probably. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, no, like again, it's all it's all circumstantial, really. Um, like for example, I spoke to a Python, predominantly a Python engineer that had a little bit of solidity experience that wasn't too long out of university, and he was currently eight earning. 180,000 in his web 2 company and I'm telling him listen buddy you can stay where you are if you, if money's the big deal to you because dare I say it you would unfortunately have to take a pay cut unless 
you can reach out directly to a CTO at a project and be able to wow him or her with an impressive project and an, an impressive yeah press an impressive GitHub that you're particularly proud of. And again, that's the great thing about Web three; it's democratic. So again, take Pakistan for example. In a Web two context, and I have great respect for Pakistan developer community. It's been a fantastic hunting ground for me in finding low latency talent in particular. A lot of the developers in Pakistan were sweatshop developers, as I call them. They were working for outsourced companies for major fang companies, I suppose, through agencies, and were getting paid peanuts. And now they're going out on their own, working for Web3 projects, and they're getting a fair, much fairer share considerably higher salaries than they were in a web two context. So yeah. Interesting. And again again we're we're talking about global market data, not local market data. And that's the great thing about Web three. And the bad thing for America, I suppose, when it comes to global market data, you gotta come down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes it not so attractive for uh, for certain location. Oh, okay, sure. interesting. I didn't know this. So yeah, good that I asked. Good to know. And uh, now, like, let's go with the, the example of um, being a marketer with uh, five years of experience. So a bit more more experienced, let's say, than the software developer. So. What is the salary that I can uh, look at? So five years experience in Web3? Yeah. Or in the blockchain? Yeah. yeah. Let's say I have five years of experience. I worked in Web2 before, let's say two years in Web2 and three years in uh, in Web3. But total experience of uh, five years. It really just depends. Um, it, it depends on the, what projects that you come from, to be honest. And I hate saying that because... Whether you come from a successful project or not, it's 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 not a, an accurate reflection of one's ability. But unfortunately, retail recruitment is a big thing, and logos are a big thing when in recruit for Web three. And I get I get it to a certain degree in terms of um, projects want assurances, and a lot of people can embellish resumes to a huge degree in Web three. People take liberties when writing resumes and yeah and yeah it's crazy like again when I come back to Wild West um, people can really embellish upon their experiences in Web3 uh, but it's really, it, re- it really does depend on the projects that they come from and what they've achieved within those projects as well so if they were able to scale a community substantially or they were able to play a lead role and grow at the project and that project substantially rose in value over their time there which significantly helped their salary earning power I would say on average and it's average the median and the average could be two completely different things here but I would say on average maybe 70, 80k and a lot of people will probably scream at me for saying that but I'm just giving you an average here yeah I guess it depends right as you say like uh, years of experience company there you you worked with before etc so the might command a very different salary okay interesting owen the market right now it's not in the best uh, place at the moment uh, yeah. in general but i feel like especially for web3 uh considering also this huge explosion that we had uh, 
with uh, AI innovation, it feels like a bit uh, Web3 got uh, sidetracked a little bit or lost is... Lost in the mainstream, so yeah, to speak. lost the mainstreams. Yeah, that's that's yeah. correct. So, what do you think uh, is the future of the job market uh, in this uh, in this area as a parting well, uh, thought? It's very positive. Yeah, very positive. Like there's a lot of major brands will come into the space in a big way, and that will obviously increase the talent, the opportunities considerably and even in the last few weeks I'm noticing a lot more investor confidence a lot a lot a couple of projects are doing very good raise race and announcing very good raises recently and that's usually a good indicator in the space that that'll trickle into hiring in the next couple of weeks and yeah again I, I love this fact that AI has taken off to be honest because a lot of the a lot of the shitheads, so to speak, have moved over to uh, title themselves as AI experts because where there's money, when money talks, bullshit walks, and the money is all in AI, mainly at the minute. So that moves the bad talent over to AI. And I look at that as a huge positive. And yeah, God knows, like, we do need to get rid of a lot of bad people in Web3. Yeah. Okay. Owen, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. I loved your your honesty and uh, how actionable your advice uh, for, for listeners uh, were. Uh, and really, thank you so much. I look forward to keeping in touch and yeah, thanks for having me up. Yeah. And uh, for listeners, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. That's all from today's episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you find this episode valuable, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to the Polyweb podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, or a comment, as this really helps other listeners find the show. All the resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in the description and in the show notes. See you on the next episode. And if you cannot wait until next week, you can watch this episode right here that relates to some of the things that we talk about in this episode. Bye.